In March of 2020, in the tyranny of fear, the world went through a shift. When we emerged from isolation, something had changed in us. Something is changing in the church, the capital C, because what we discovered was that the blasphemous entertainment that was passing for church did not provide spiritual support for the butts that filled their seats. And believers started to seek a church with depth and strength and relationships and power. Because all the parties in the world don't get you through a crisis. All of the fancy light shows and dimmed rooms and PowerPoint presentations and tattooed youth pastors can't hold your hand when you can't visit your loved one in hospital. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you will distract me. No longer applied. The church, capital C, in our world is a mess. Two thousand nine, my wife had a partial thyroidectomy out of concern for cancer. In two thousand eleven, she had a full thyroidectomy and a radioactive iodine treatment because um, she had cancer. We uh, stood in our kitchen and wept, trying to figure out why. The only reason we survive through those crises and whatever crisis is coming next is not because the church entertains. It is because the church is the body of Christ, the embodiment of the gospel, redemption, truth, faith. And we sometimes forget that. My wife um, is facing some challenges. We just put a prayer request out this week. We don't know what it is. 
We're trying to figure it out. We're praying for the best. But without the church, without Christ embodied in his people, whatever crisis you're going through, you will go through it alone. You say, but I have my friends and my family. Yeah. I can't come. All I can tell you is when your heart is overwhelmed and the people of God lift up their voices for you like you guys just did. When you sang out, when you um, pray for us, when you pray for each other, you are the church. The Corinthian church was a mess. A mess like the church that I see when I doom scroll my Facebook feed. Watch a bunch of churches with very cool, very hip people up front saying nonsense and calling it the gospel. <clears throat> and if what I just said offended you, I am not sorry. I'm not. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Chapter 1 and verse 10. I appeal to you, my brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no division among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. That word united, by the way, the Greek word is completed. Not two complete things being put together like a pair, but a puzzle being pieced together. That you be united in the same mind and the same judgment, for it is reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Kephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus, and beyond that I don't know whether I baptized anyone else, for Christ did not send me to baptize but to preach the gospel and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Let me read that line again. If you get nothing else this week, meditate on what this means for the church. Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel 
and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. The Corinthian church was a young, immature, foolish church. Well-intentioned, apparently very sweet, a little too sweet in some cases to one another. But their immaturity led them to focus on their favorite preachers, on what they thought was the best thing in the church. And in the process, they misunderstood everything those preachers said and emptied the cross of its power. We're, we're getting in a series. I'm going through this. I'm going to go through 1 Corinthians and just talk about the mess we make. Now, I think for the most part, this is stuff that would probably be familiar to many of you. And maybe you listen to it and you go, ah, you know, that's not a problem for me. But this is the Word of God. I encourage you to read through 1 Corinthians as we're going through. But I just want to talk about why we make a mess looking for our favorite preachers. Or let's substitute a different word. Best practices. Necessary ministries. Church growth principles. It is very easy for these things to empty the cross. Let's talk about the problems here. First, I look at verse 26. I don't often do this, but I'm going to skip around. Verse 26. Consider your calling, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish to the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring nothing to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. The Corinthian church made a mess of the church following their favorite teachers when they forgot what they were before Jesus. They forgot what they were before Jesus. Before Jesus, I was a mess. Now, 
I was baptized as a young man, made a profession of faith. No reason to doubt that. But in my life, as I went through the journey of my young adult years, and I've recounted it for many of you, you don't need to hear about it, and sought after my own wisdom and my own power and my own destructive abilities, And then Jesus got a hold of me. And maybe you were a pretty good person before Jesus. You were fair to Midland. You were okay. You had everything worked out. Or maybe you were a complete and utter wreck before Jesus. But then... Jesus came into your life and things started going well and maybe you had relationships restored and and new things happened and there was hope and there was glory and there was worship and there was praise and all that stuff. And it is so easy to forget what Jesus saved you out of and start to focus on what you want right now. And the Corinthian church, they forgot that when Jesus found them, they were fools, they were weak, they were nothing. And they had started to develop an attitude that they knew how to do church, they knew which teachers to follow, which way to go. And they were long on their path to self-righteous, condescending religiosity. Because they forgot who they were before Jesus got a hold of them. We all have the temptation to look down our nose at the people that look just like we did before Jesus got us. Oh, I can't believe they're involved in fill in the blank. It's a road that takes us down a dangerous, dangerous lane when we forget who we are, who we were before Jesus. For the Corinthians, what it did was it gave them ego to find their identity in some person, some idea, some favorite teacher. Oh, well, you follow Paul. I'm one of Simon Peter's people. Stand back in awe. Revere my worth and my power. For I am a disciple of Apollos. And worst of all, people were claiming to be Paul's disciples. And, uh, Paul's going to let them know that was a bad idea. Take a look at chapter 3, verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care of how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. 
Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold and silver and precious stones and wood and hay and straw, each one's works will become manifest, for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. And the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? See, not only do they forget who they were before Jesus, before, before Jesus they forgot what they were supposed to be building. They forgot what they were supposed to be building. Corinth was a, a successful, powerful city. And, and that access to money and, and the popularity, maybe, of being something new, the novel religious movement, it was, it was so attractive it was so alluring for, for them to be able to, to, um, to start to brag about their church. Now, I went to Bible college um, in the late 90s, mid-90s. I, I started college in 94, so I know that makes me really young to a lot of you and really old to some others of you. To like, 1994? Wow. That was like another century, another millennium. Um, back then, the big thing that pastors in our particular movement bragged about was square footage. Oh, we just built a 30,000 square foot multi-purpose gymnasium slash sanctuary. Always a weird combination. I was thought I'm like, so Monday through Saturday, um, they play basketball and Sunday they play church. And, and before that it was how many buses were you running? There was a big movement when I was a kid, um, tail end of a movement where you took buses. Tell me that this isn't a lawsuit waiting to happen. You took buses into uh, underprivileged neighborhoods and just randomly recruited kids using candy and the offer of toys to get on the bus and go to church. What could go wrong? Right? Come get in our bus. Come on. We promise we'll bring you back to mommy and daddy. How many buses were you running? How many baptisms did you have? I was just talking last week about a church that had church members intentionally sit next to visitors. And when the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the invitation to be baptized as a believer would come, the church members who were already baptized would stand up and go down the front to make it easier for the unbelievers to also be baptized kind of smooth the way look at all these people that are going up front and they seem to be cycling back and forth the only thing i could think of was when uh erwin rommel brought the african corps to um to northern africa in the 1940s um and uh to help the italians and he only had like 50 tanks and so what he did was he had the italian generalissimos and everything all sit in a balcony and he had his unit just keep driving around the block to show how much power they had Look how awesome we are. And it was finally an Italian general said, um, that, that track is off. Hey. And churches sell a product. 
have to get people in. I had a friend who started a church. It didn't work out. He started a church, and after three years, blowing through $100,000 a year, his pastor said to him, you better get some money coming in or you're cut off. And here's how you get people to come into church and pay your bills. This is all that matters is paying your bills. What are we building? What what is the church? If we forget what we're supposed to be building, which is the temple of God. Moms and dads, what are you building in your homes? Are you building Christians? Are you taking the time and the commitment to serve your children properly, to teach them the word of God? Are you just waiting and hoping that somebody else will take care of it for you? You you got kids in public school. My daughter's at home. She's got pneumonia. But um, Ariel went into public school in seventh grade, and Nicole and I made the commitment that we were going to be involved and engaged, and we were going to answer all the questions that came up in that school um, so that when she emerged from that school, she was not going to be uh, transformed into what the school wanted her to be. We were going to work together with her so that she could see what God was wanted her to be and to grow into that. And it wasn't always easy, and it wasn't always the most fun thing, and there were a lot of other things that I wanted to do, but we were determined to build what God was building, not what we wanted. The Corinthian church forgot what they were supposed to be building, but even worse, in verse 18, Let no one deceive himself if anyone, chapter 3, verse 18, if anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. Let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Kephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All things are yours because... I know your translation probably says and, but there's a causation here. You are Christ, and Christ is God's. They forgot who they were before Jesus. They forgot what they were supposed to be building in Jesus. And they forgot whose they are. When Paul says that he is a, ser- a slave, a bondservant of, God, of Christ, he is not exaggerating. Christians, listen to me. You are the servants of Christ. That's who you are. You're in his household, not the servants of Eric. Not the servants of Bedford Road. Not the servants of whatever uh, popular teacher you might encounter online. And there are lots of good ones. And there are a whole lot of bad ones. But you're not their servants. You're the servant of Jesus Christ. And the Corinthians forgot that. They forgot what they looked like before Jesus got them. They forgot what they were supposed to be building that Jesus had started. And they had forgotten whose they were. 
They were serving the passions of their own desires, their own wants, their own needs. They were turning Lord's table into a party. There was a man living with his father's wife. There were married couples who were justifying separation and divorce and and even affairs based on their particular interpretation of Jesus' teachings or Paul's teachings or Kephas' teachings, Simon Peter's teachings or Apollos' teachings. They were picking and choosing and a lot of them were well-intentioned. There is often, those of you that are in the trades, you would agree with this, there is often nothing more dangerous than a well-intentioned novice. Right? True story. I was like, well, I think. No, 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 don't think. Just do what I told you to do. You will acquire the skills necessary. I have always been a well-intentioned novice when it comes to anything mechanical. I tried to fix the rear derailleur in my bike. That's not complicated. It's sitting in my basement, unrideable. I'm going to have to take it to a shop to get it fixed because I have no idea what I adjusted. I am, when it comes to mechanical things, a well-intentioned idiot. I'm not, and I'm not using that word negatively. I'm using it technically. It describes my technical ability when it comes to mechanical things. Measure three times, it's still too short. No matter how many times I cut it. I mean, it is just the reality. We, have to, we, we forget whose we are. See, here's the thing. When we forget whose we are, we forget our job in his house. We forget our place. Not, not to other human beings, our place to him. This, this church was a disaster because there were a bunch of well-intentioned people making a mess because they didn't understand what they were reading or, or hearing, and they were, trying to, they were trying to do good things, but they had lost their way. By the way, they started doing this almost immediately as soon as Paul got on a boat to leave Corinth. Whew, now that he's gone, let's try some of our ideas. The underlying issue in Corinth was not that they were listening to teachers. The the teachers that Paul lists are great teachers. Apollos, he's a great teacher. He was sensitive to the Holy Spirit. When when Aquila and Prisca talked to him about Jesus, Apollos became a very eloquent defender of the faith. I mean... Kephas, Simon Peter, I mean, he's kind of important, right? I mean, he he appears occasionally in the Bible. He's a a good teacher. Paul, he's a good teacher. Christ, great teacher. I mean, the greatest teacher, right? So how could they possibly be getting it wrong? Well, the issue is not the teachers. The issue was they were misreading the teachers and turning something good into gaining worth and power through affiliating themselves with someone important because they were immature and they were overwhelmed. Now this is going to sound like a weird big idea. Those of you that are familiar with me know that I often take 78.5 degree turns off of direct 
the Corinthians were a mess because they were trying to do more than God had intended them to do. He took a group of weak, poor, struggling people, saved them by his grace, and called them to care for one another, to serve one another, to find where they fit in their relationships with one another. And what they had tried to do was build a multimedia complex. They wanted parties. They wanted influential speakers. They wanted a show. They, they wanted prestige. They, they, tried, they were, in the name of the gospel, undoubtedly, they were pretending like sin didn't exist so that people would come in. The right kind of people would come in. We're going to encounter all kinds of weird things that they have going on. They decided the Lord's table wasn't big enough with just bread and, and a little bit of grape juice. And what it really needed was a grill and a barbecue, possibly some steaks offered to idols. Um, and then what it also needed was a bouncer and a cover charge to make sure that the people that we didn't want seen taking Lord's table didn't show up. There was all this stuff going on in this church. And I really honestly believe they started out well, but they just got overwhelmed by what they were trying to do instead of what God wanted them to do. And here's the thing, when you start to get overwhelmed, there are two roads you can take. The first road is to say, I'm overwhelmed. And for how many of us is that our first response? Like, oh, I need to back off. I need to cut some things out of my schedule. We all do that, right? I mean, we, that's our default, right? No, that's not our default. Our default is I can live on two and a half hours of sleep. Our default is I need to be here and here and here and here and I've got to do this and I'm on that board and I'm on this thing and I've got to do this and, and all these different situations. If we could just do this and I also do this and maybe I could get somebody else to do this and if I pay for this. and we, 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 we start to, when we get overwhelmed, what we actually tend to do is fall into a loop of actually re-overwhelming ourselves. We deal with being overwhelmed by adding stuff. Instead of being willing to take things away. Instead of willing, willing to say, okay, what did God call me to do here? We make a mess when we're overwhelmed with our perception of who we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to build instead of following Christ's foundations, and pattern. You cannot, you cannot, you cannot blindly work yourself into a church. You, you can't do it. There has to be intention. There has to be plan. When I was a teenager and I was 
stupid but had good knees. I was a, I know that you wouldn't think this to look at me, but I was a, a bodybuilder. Um, I was a fairly good at lifting stuff. I could leg press 800 pounds. I could bench press about 325. Um, I cannot bench press 325. I struggle to bench press about 175 right now. Um, I, uh, I had a 19 and a half inch neck when I graduated high school. Um, I have, that meant that my neck was almost as big around as my legs are long. Uh, I was, uh, I had, um, I had a, uh, a 48 inch shoulders and a 28 inch waist and I weighed 210 pounds. I weigh 200 pounds now. I do not look like I did when I graduated from high school. One of the things that I learned doing that was that you can't just work out like crazy and build body mass. You can't just just hit the gym. I'm going to hit the gym four hours a day and just do everything. And I'm going to live on salads. What I discovered is as a bodybuilder, when you're exercising a couple hours a day and you're doing all this stuff, you had better be eating a lot of good food. I'm terrible at eating good food. That's why I'm not a bodybuilder now. Um, the Twinkies call and the muscle wastes away. If you want to build something intentionally, you have to stop working hard and you have to start working the way Christ made you to work. I was, uh, I mentioned to Eric Wittenberg, I was looking for some old sermons of mine. Um, there was a time right when I, I became the pastor back in like 2005, 2006, 2007. I was working so hard to build a church that I almost lost my family. I was stupid. And I know that that's a, a word you shouldn't use. I know that for that you guys. But I was. I was a mess. I was frustrated and depressed and my response to that depression was to work harder to try to build something bigger, better. It was only when I was through a crisis stripped all the way down that I remembered who I was before Jesus. I remembered what I was supposed to build. And I remember whose I was. It took a lot of repentance. It took a lot of struggles. It took a lot of crises. It took a lot of love. To align my heart and my will with the will of 
the head of the church, Jesus. And I don't do it perfectly all the time. What we are called to do is too important to trust it to our own desires and wills. It is too important for us to mismanage the cross of Christ. Now, in case you're wondering, this sermon has absolutely nothing to do with anything that is going on in Bedford Road right now. There's no crisis I'm addressing. I'm not, like, pointing to some ministry that's a mess or anything. We're, we're flourishing. We're, we're happy. We're supporting one another. You guys broke my heart about 45 minutes ago singing with my wife. I haven't been preaching for 45 minutes. It wasn't that long ago. But we have to safeguard ourselves. Because we often make well-intentioned messes when we are overwhelmed with our expectations. All right, I'll close with one more story. We were looking to rename the church after the merger. Some of you remember that adventure. We had a candidate name. It sounded really cool to some of us. I liked it. It was never going to fly. We came up with another name. I liked it. It was never going to fly. I sat in an elders meeting and I said to the guys, I said, listen, you can call this church cardboard box. I do not care. I'm here to do a job. I'll do that job. I will teach the Bible. I will encourage people. I will speak the truth. I don't care what you call the church. We must be with an iron resolve fixed on the work of the church, the gospel, the power of the cross, regardless whether we in the world achieve greatness, whether we accomplish everything that everybody says we should accomplish. We are the church. We just always have to remember that. Who we were before, what we're supposed to build, and who we belong to. Would you join me in a word of prayer? I'll give a couple announcements and we'll be dismissed. Jesus, why you chose us is beyond us. I wouldn't have chosen me. And what you have done here at Bedford Road every day, I thank you for. We have truly seen your spirit work in extraordinary ways. 
to minister sometimes to needs we didn't even know existed. Help us to stay true to what you're building. To learn lessons from the Corinthians and walk together as your body here in this place, whatever the challenges are, whatever the things we face. You alone are worthy of praise and glory. Jesus, you alone are the head of this church. You alone. Own us, guide us, teach us. It's in your name we pray. Amen.